So here we are trying to discover the, in the nature of truth. And we went really quite um, built based on what the tiny says, because he does bring this down in the context of his introduction that, well, um, everybody has their own connection to Torah, which is how we got into our topic of absolute truth, different perspectives, and connection to connection to reality. And I, I think I think we, we pretty much did a, a quite a, a in-depth discussion on the notion of the fact that a different perspective doesn't mean that you're wrong and it doesn't mean that you're delusional. That two people staring at us at the same object from different sides of the room will both, with accurate sight, see a very different option, different different object. They both will be absolutely correct in the perception. They would have in- integrated the external reality into themselves in a faithful and authentic manner, yet they will both have very different perspectives, different um, views of that given object. The study of Torah is no different. It is the object in the middle that you're staring at. When, you, when you're able to see it with a clear perspective, you will be getting a different thing to the person standing next to you because he's not in the same space as you. In Torah, how do you look through Torah? So don't make the mistake that Torah only requires an intellectual understanding. The, inter- the intellect, because it's a subject, because the intellect is subject to being colored and tainted by our own personal agendas, the only way to have that true corroboration between the Torah in the center and the integration of it within me is if I'm able to cleanse myself of my biases, my agendas, and my negative traits. So really, the only way I can see Torah is not alone through my intellect. And an intellectual perspective doesn't lend itself in its entirety to Torah because Torah also has an impact on the self and the person in the moment and the language of experience. So the only way I can really get to the bottom of a truly integrated and real perspective in Torah is when I reach a place of completion inside of myself. But as long as my midas are overriding my perception of the world, I will not be seeing very often the Torah. I'll just be seeing more of myself and I'll use the Torah as a um, kind of a, a, a something to hinge my belief system on. I won't be seeing the Torah. I need to cleanse myself of all my bad medicine to see the Torah. And that's why people say, well, oh, it's so important to be an ethical person in Judaism. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You don't have to be an ethical person in the, as an as in value in its own right. You have to be a person that's connected to Torah. Unfortunately, without a completely refined ethical personality, you'll never get that. But it doesn't create a value of ethical excellence as an independent thing. You find me? I think that's a very big, big distinction. In other words, people say, oh, you know, Musa is the most important thing. Musa is subsidiary. It's not essential. It's, it's, a, it's like if you don't have a hand, you can't write. So you should really make sure that you've got fine motor coordination. But the point of fine motor coordination isn't that you should have fine motor coordination so that you can do something with it. The reason why you have to work on yourself is so you can do something with it. The thing you do with it is connecting the deepest way to the Torah, which is a reflection of the mind of God, for want of a better word, and thereby you can become integrated, connected, and live in a place of spiritual reality, vibrating at the same rhythm as the universe around you on its deepest level. Okay, I think that's 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 where we got to. And I suppose that's uh, a kind of extension of what the Balatanya says, that therefore every person could theoretically satisfy 
his understanding and depth of approach to Torah if he's exposed to the right book and he's able to do this with it. But since we're not there yet, so then he says, how can I write this in a book? You need to have the personal contact. In the person, in the personal in, in dialogue between Rebbe and Talmud, a lot of the biases can be removed through discussion, through questioning, and through answering. But if I'm writing a book, the, the ability is not there, so therefore how can you do that? And therefore the Balatanya writes, and this is why it becomes quite complicated, he says, therefore I didn't mean this book for everyone. I only meant it for the people who I'm close to, and for them this will be a help. And then he goes on to explain that he's just collected these, these, these um, from the writings and from his teachers. He's put together, which something he says, He says, I've been able to compile every answer to every question that could be asked um, in the area of Avodah Hashem. In other words, if you ever have a question of what should I do in this situation, how should I move my Avodah Hashem forward, what should I do next, so all the answers are contained in the book. So when you learn the Tanya, it will provide you with a thorough way of advancing in every aspect, answer the riddles that you're um, struggling with in your Avodah Hashem, in your spiritual growth. So that seems like quite a good thing to do. Good. So that's the introduction. The Balatanya begins his Sefer with a series of kashas in order to lead to a model of our internal spiritual structure. And I'll go through the kashas, kashas slowly um, and speak them out. But just, are there any questions so far? Are you, are you ready to go forward with this very kind of, I would say, in a way, constricted textual approach, something that we generally don't do. Now, Mr. Shares are much more fluid and flowing, so I'm going to ask your permission to, to, to focus a little bit on the text and see how that goes, if you, if you can be present with me and engaged, and that would be amazing. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Affirmative. Kasha number one. There's a Gemara leader that says, before a, um, <clears throat> before a person is born, there's a spiritual awakening that occurs in the high realms and he's called on to make an oath in other words the soul that's about to be born already prior to birth swears to a commitment and the commitment that the soul swears to is he has to make an oath that he will be a tzaddik, he'll be a righteous person. He'll be a person that's totally focused on spiritual connection, and he will not be a person that deviates. That's oath number one. Further part of the oath, and even if the entire world looks at you and say that you're a tzaddik, you're a truly righteous person, you should look upon yourself as an evil person. Again, two parts of the oath. Part number one of the oath. Swear that you'll never ever be a Russia, that you'll only be a tzaddik. You'll be pure, good, and you won't be evil and bad. And part two, when, if the whole world says you are a tzaddik, you should look at yourself as a Russia. You should see yourself as evil. That's a Gemara Nida. And the reason why the Tanya is called the Tanya is because the first word of the book is Tanya. It's quoting a Bryce in Nida. 
Just as an interesting, quirky aside, this Brysa doesn't exist. In the Gemara, this is a member of an Amorah called Reb Simloi. And it's not a Brysa at all. Hey? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Rabbi said everything is outside, meaning literally means outside. Right. How you define? Rabbi said everything is outside on the level of Tanoim. Right. Rabbi Simloy is Namoya. So this is a statement said by Rabbi Simloy, who is a generation after the Tanoim, and that's how it's quoted in the Gemara. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really strange that the Balatanya learned the Gemara that it was in fact a Brisa to the degree that he began his work with that statement and it became called after that. Very, very, very Interesting. There an answer. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, of course there is. Okay, so that's that's the first part that the Balatani says. But sorry, but he says we have to understand. Because we learned the Mishnah in Pekka Abbas. The the Mishnah in the Ethics of the Fathers says the following thing. It says that one of the teachings of our sages is you can't look at yourself as a Russia. So now we have this grasping and gigantic chasm between what the Gemara in Nida presents as a in utero oath versus a Gemara versus a Mishnah. Gemara says initially that you should, everyone says you're a tzaddik, you should look at yourself as a Russia, meaning always see yourself. In other words, that's the most extreme case. If everyone says, sees, says you're a tzaddik, you should look at yourself as a Russia. I'm assuming if they don't see you as a tzaddik, you should look at yourself as a Russian. Um, and then you've got a teaching in Pekah which says you should never look at yourself as a Russian. Never see yourself as a Russian. That's a contradiction. There's a contradiction. I'm just pointing it out there, but it's not me pointing it out. It's about a tiny pointing out this contradiction. You with me? Part one is a contradiction. Okay, so we've got a contradiction. So that's Kasha number one. Kasha number two. So he says, more than that, I'm going to ask a question in the reality of the state of mind that a person would be in were he to see himself as a Rasha. Imagine you value in your life the performance of true Torah spirituality connection. And you are constantly the opposite, doing the opposite of that in your life. How is that going to make you feel? I would imagine not on the top of the world. So if you're kind of trying to create a mindset of yourself that even in the most likely cases that you could ascribe yourself some kind of backpatting encouragement, you should like, no, don't accept that and look yourself as a Russia. Well, you're going to be pretty depressed, aren't you? Because you're going to be constantly, even when the, the world's looking good for you, you'll turn it and give it a darker angle. So his second kash is, first of all, there's a contradiction. Secondly, if you go with the first Gemara, it means that you should be consistently upset and depressed at the fact that you're just falling so short to the mark. That's very, very upsetting. Kasha number two. Kasha number three. Well, what about this? And, and as a result, you will be able to serve Hashem besimcha v'toiv leivav. Vim lo But what can you say? Well, then I, maybe I'll just, I'll just be, I'll just get on with it and not take it so seriously that I feel that I'm so evil and wicked. So then you'll just become none. So what are you going to do? You have to serve Hashem out of simcha. How are you going to serve Hashem out of simcha? I have joy out of 
uh, you know, excitement if you're feeling like, well, I'm just like such an absolute mess. And if you are going to do that, so then obviously not taking the fact that you're an absolute mess that seriously. So that's that's the Tanya's kasha. The kasha is the mission. I would say against the the the, the, the Gemara Logic, emotional logic says whichever way you look at it, it's not going to work. If you're going to take it seriously, you're going to be miserable and not be able to do what you have as a And if you're not going to take it seriously, so that's even worse. <laughs> so that's the three kashas that we've said so far. Already it's two kashas. Contradiction and it makes no sense. Good? Are you with me? Now I realize this is, the, I realize this is much more kind of sequential and logical, not as fluid and organic as the way we've been speaking until now. So I just so you stay with me in this moment right now as we just progress slowly through the text. I know it's a different kind of thing, but I really believe that this may, may be helpful. And after all, just think about this. As long as I'm reading for the text, there's a lot less I can make up as I go along. Which is like also also reassuring. At least it's like some kind of anchoring to what may be my just, you know, free fall. Next Kasha. But really the way he says this Kasha is almost as a, the beginning of a teret. He gives a resolution almost. We find the Gemara a way of describing people based on five different categories. So there these five different categories. A person can be one of these five things. So we take the Jewish people and we kind of could categorize them. Or we take the people in this room, Gabe, for example, Ariel, for example, I'll even go on a limb and say Daniel, for example. And we can arrange them according to a specific set of Jew. Category number one, Sadik Vatoivloi. A tzaddik, and it's good for him. Daniel Spam smiles. He thinks he's fitting into that category. Of course, that's a problem. The first Gemara we saw, he's got to be a Russia. Anyway, even all telling him is that. Tzaddik v'toivloi. Tzaddik, and it's good for him. Tzaddik v'raleh. Tzaddik, and it's bad for him. Those are the first two highest levels. In the middle, Beinoini, the intermediate, the in-betweener. Below the in-betweener, you've got Russia, for Toivloi, a Russia, a bad guy, but it's going good for him. Russia, Virale, and the Russia is going bad for him. So that, that seems to be the hierarchy. Like the worst place you want to be is at the bottom, mm-hmm. that you are evil and your life is shocking. Evil and your life is great. In between her, <laughs> fantastic and your life is miserable. Fantastic and your life is great. They're, those are like the two poles. Mm. Now, the Talmud Bavli understands it's just as I have. So he begins the, the, the Gemara explains that as I said, Tzadik means a Tzadik, and he's having a really horrible time. It's bad to him. He's having a tough time in life. Rosh means the Rosh is having a Gavaldika life. We know those people. We've met them. <laughs> Yisha has met them. Don't mean to comment on Yisha's friendship group. Now, but he then immediately, after leaving the Talmud Bavli, he now launches into a quotation from the Zohar HaKadosh. A section of the Zohar is called Raya Mehemna, which means faithful shepherd. And it was a section of the Zohar HaKadosh which was written by none other than Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why it's called Raya Mehemna, because he was our, is our faithful shepherd. And the Raya Mehemna says a very different understanding of what Tzadik V'toivlo and Tzadik V'ra'lo mean. Tzadik V'toivlo and, and, and Tzadik V'ra'loi. It says this following thing in Parashat Mishpatim. Tzadik v'ra'aloi, what does it mean tzadik and it's bad for him? It doesn't mean that 
things are going wrong. Normal Anseyev Tzadik for Allah is a person who's a Tzadik and he has a disease and he has no money and his house just collapsed and his cat burnt on fire. It's terrible. Things are just going awfully for him. That's what we normally understand. The Rem Hemner says, no. What does Tzadik for Allah mean? It means Tzadik. He's a Tzadik. And the evil inside of himself Loi is to him. He's a tzaddik, vera loi, meaning he's a tzaddik and he has evil. There's a tzaddik for toivlo. There's a tzaddik that has no evil in him whatsoever. That's the highest level. One notch down from there is a tzaddik and he has ra. There's still remnants, residue, sediments of wickedness, evil, bad stuff, baggage, the stuff we carry around with us in him. But loi. It's to him, meaning he's totally and utterly in control of it. Even though it's still there, he hasn't completely purged himself from every residue of negativity. It doesn't have any impact on his day-to-day life. It's totally subordinate and subdued to the power of the goodness and the strength and the eternity inside of him. How's that? Dramatic enough? Okay. Hey? Just in my like, kind of ready way, I feel it's a desperate attempt to keep the keep engaged and the text exciting. I think that was really, I, I would say, I would give myself a good 8 out of 10. At least. At least. Okay, so yeah, we go. So that's, that's how the Ram Mahimna says it. Now, so l- let me let me like call you into now. So if that's what the definition of Tzadik Varalo means, I want to ask someone to volunteer. What do you think Rosha Vatoivlo means? Someone who's on the way up. Vague. Okay. <laughs> so I suppose it's a Rasha, but in, but there's good potential inside him yeah. to unlock he knows and work good, on. Not being harnessed. Game what? It's not. There's good inside the evil guy, but he's not harnessing the good. On the contrary. Uh, on the contrary. Just like the Tzadik Varela means there's bad inside of him, but the bad is totally under the control of good. The opposite is Rosh Hashanah. There's good inside of him, but it's totally under control of the bad. The good doesn't have any impact on his day-to-day life or experience or consciousness. So in other words, those would be two mirror, mirror, mirror images of each other. And on either pole, you've got this like ready kind of, on one hand, total dismal abyss and perfection. So you've got on the farthest extremes, you've got the Tzadik Vatoivlo, which there's no even remnant of evil inside of him. And you've got the Rasha Varalo, there's no even remnant of good. So the two extremes are pretty black and white. A little bit of grey, and then you've got the in-betweener. And the in-betweener, he's going to be the guy we're going to be interested in. We love the in-betweener. And in fact, the Baal Hatanya called his book... Likute Amorim, which means a collection of statements, but the subtitle is Sefer Shel Beinoinim. He's here to teach us how we can be a good Beinoini. And his assumption is, and we're going to qualify this, that none of us in the room are, tzad, are on the level of a Tzadik Vatoivloi. Even a drop further. None of us in, in this room are on the level of Tzadik Vatoivloi. Thankfully, none of us on the on the level of a Rosh Hashanah and Khalila, none of us on the level of Rosh Hashanah. Where are we? We're the Beinoinim. Who are the Beinoinim? The Beinoinim we'll soon see are the people that are stuck 
straddling the struggles of life, walking the tightrope of where am I on the fence being pulled from either direction, sometimes rise, sometimes twave. We don't know where we are. But for further illustration of what the internal state of the Bainoin is, stay tuned to Tanyushirim coming to you from Jerusalem, Yeshivat Or Samech. Close, but not too close to my not. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, are you actually finishing that? Oh! No, no, these are, I guess. Oh, no, it's pretty, uh... Yeah, you, Now a message from our sponsors. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, great. Joel. Uh, I'm confused as to why this Balatanya would write a book with the idea of teaching everyone how to be a good Bainoni. Why wouldn't he want to have this book to get Bainonim converted into Tzadikim? Excellent questions. First question again from Joel Herman. Questions starting to come in. There is interest starting to be awoken within the group. His first question is Joel Herman from Australia. He's asking this question. Surely the goal would be to become a Tzadik Vatovlo. Why would we focus on the Bainonim, which seems like such a mediocre thing? Coming from Australia, aware of the tall puppy syndrome, that if you excel, your head should be chopped off. He's sensitive to the idea, and he really wants to escape the culture which he felt for himself personally growing up wasn't so good for him, and certainly he doesn't want to come into Jerusalem and have that kind of thing broadcast by one of the major disseminators of one of the deepest spiritual teachings. So we have Joel Herman over here, really kind of getting, getting, getting a bit apathy about this. Lovely, lovely, lovely way of working as we move forward in the time. Do you have any more questions before we progress ahead? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Excellent. So let's see what happens. Because, of course, we're still well, well, well in the wake. So the truth is, just, just, just to give you a word of warning and maybe a word for a bit for patience. The questions that the Balatanya asks in Perik Aleph are answered. They are. However, they are only answered in Perik Yud Gimel, which is 13 <laughs> chapters later. So we're in it for the long haul, boys. Don't know how far we're going to get. I could literally see us giving up any day, but let's realize the cost of giving up. We may be living without these answers. So let's go a little bit forward. We've got lovely, lovely vibes coming out from Twimmer. Tomer comes from England. No issue of mediocrity there because they never thought about what mediocre means. Moving forward in the Gomorrah's yoga. Mamish. Um... So the Ramimna says that the, the Zara Kodesh says that Tzadik V'toivle means, Tzadik V'ra'adle means that the Ra inside of him is absolutely subjugated to the Toiv. And then the Balatanya brings the Gemara in Brachas. This is in the ninth chapter of Brachas. And he says, we have a Raya in the Talmud Bavli. We even have a proof in the Bavli to this idea of, and now we get a much clearer definition of what the Be'inoini is. Because the Gemara there says it's following. Um, tzadikim. Who's a tzadik? Yetzir toiv shoftan. A yetzir toiv, the good part of them, is their judge. Rishayim, yetzir hara shoftan. The rishayim, the negative part of themselves, is their judge. So this is really interesting, because obviously, before we do anything, most often it's subconscious. There's an element of what we'd call a decision-making process before we respond, enact, proact, react to anything. 
There's a decision-making process. In other words, there's a judgment call. Now the question is, well, who's the judge? Who's the judge sitting on the judgment call of our decision-making process? Well, it's a wonderful way of describing this decision-making process that we have. Well, who's sitting on the jury that's making this decision? So, you know, I think we've had this just in terms of relating it to ourselves, because the Gemara will say then, Tzadikim, the Yetzir, Toiv is a Shafet, Rishayim, the Yetzir, Hor is a Shafet, and Beinonim, Zev is a Shafetan. The problem is they've got two judges, meaning they, 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 they're like swinging from one side of the pendulum to another. So sometimes, well, should I eat this food? It's not kosher. No, no, no. Should I eat this food? It's my ninth helping of ice cream. Yes, yes, yes. So, whatever, 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 whoever's in charge of the decision-making process, so in a tzaddikim, it's very clear. They've always got the right decision-making process. They've always got the right head-on. When it was a Rishayim, they've always got the wrong head-on. When it's the Beinonim, they've got two different heads and two different hats, and therefore they, they're in flux. And that's going to be an interesting thing. In other words, the definition of Benoni is the one that doesn't have the experiential power to decide based on a consistent set of values, whatever it is. Says the Balatanya further. I'm a rabbi. Now, this is this gets a bit complicated because rabbi. Now, rabbi, rabbi is rabbi Nachmani. Rabbi was the rebbe of a buyer. He was, a, he was a tzaddik in, in our terminology. We call him a tzaddik. For sure, rabbi. Rabbi will soon see was, was, was on such a great level that he was immune to death. Rabbi Omar could go in, Rabbi says, I'm a benoini. So Abai says, if you're a benoini, you have a leftover life for any other creature, meaning what is everyone else? To, to really understand this is about Tanya, a really good understanding. And to understand another, this is getting complicated. Um, what Eov said, Job, Job, have you heard of Job? He Job. features in Tanakh. Um, Eov, Eov, no, not Steve Job, there's someone else. But good, that was excellent, excellent, showing off Pisca general knowledge. Um, <laughs> Job, Eov. Eov was, uh, Eov is, is a book which was written by a contemporary of Moshe Rabbeinu. So it's an ancient, ancient, ancient work. It's before the Jews left Egypt. In fact, Eov, Eov was one of the uh, men that Pharaoh took counsel whether he should free the Jews or not and how he should relate to them. Eov was one of the people that, and he, he, didn't, he didn't offer an opinion. Um, so Eov was um, a man that was an incredibly powerful, righteous individual and um, went through un- untold suffering through his life. And the book of Eov describes essentially the, the quandary, and it's, it's a really deep and, and sometimes very dark book about life and its struggles. And in the book, Eov says some really kind of harsh things. And um, one of the things he, he says, as explained by the Gemara Bava Basra, is he, he, he kind of has a, a claim, as it were, against Hashem. He says, Master of the universe, you have created, you have created tzaddikim. 
Barasa Rishayim, and you have created evil people. In other words, in this claim, it appears as if Eoiv is assuming that the nature of who is a tzaddik and who is a rasha is a predetermined fact, which automatically gets the necks on the hairs on the back of our head when we are very aware of the notion and fundamental need for freedom of choice a little bit standing on end. And the Balatanya actually asks Sukasha, as per the Gemara Nidah, which says, Vaha, Tzadik Varash, The Gemara Nidah says that prior to a person's birth, it's another Gemara, not the one we learned at the very top of the Balatanya's page. There's another Gemara that says that um, when a when a person is conceived, there's a spiritual energy that ascertains the person's skills and talents in the world. His level of intelligence, his amount of financial resources, his amount of health resources, he, that, that's all predetermined. The one thing that isn't predetermined is whether he be a tzaddik or asha, meaning what he does with the resources given him is completely up to himself. Okay, that's the Gemara Nida. So says the Balatanya, the Kasha on Eov. How can Eov say to Hashem that you've made Sadiqim Rishayim? Sadiqim Rishayim, not part of what's predetermined. Everything else is predetermined, but not Sadiq Rasha. And therefore, how can Eov say that? And this is all kind of building up this picture, which will help us to get to an understanding of what the nature of the internal spiritual world of a Jew is. And that's where we're going. But we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to go through this. And um, I, just want to, I just want to maybe just take out a couple of seconds to thank you all today for the kind of, I would say, self-sacrifice and devotion that you put into staying focused for, it must have been close to 30 minutes. And for me, that, that, that in itself is like just a, a kind of a throwing, throwing fire in the face of a generation whose concentration span is... Now, kind of reaching squirrel status. Squirrel status.